This is Season 5, Episode 4, sponsored by Pfizer Canada. Hello, hello, this is Dr. Jason Lee. And on today's episode of my podcast, we're going to be talking to a very, very well-accomplished uh, allergist in the, from the U.S., Lakia Wright-Bello. She's a MD, MAT, and a Master of Public Health, uh, graduated from uh, Harvard and uh, did her uh, training at uh, Birmingham Women's Hospital. Um, well, welcome to uh, my podcast. Hi, uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, and um, you know, uh, one of the things that uh, people may not be aware is uh, that you're also the U.S. Uh, Medical Director of Clinical Affairs at Thermal Fisher Scientific. You know, probably uh, uh, plays a very and increasingly important role in the toolkit of a everyday practicing allergist immunologist. Um, tell us more about uh, your work and uh, you know, how uh, allergists should be uh, you know, practicing with, with uh, the tools in mind. Yeah, so I, 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 um, I think that it's you know, very important to use uh, allergy testing when it's uh, clinically appropriate. And we know that uh, when we're you know, deciding on uh, testing is really to think about the patient's clinical history. And that's really in the forefront because then that would allow us to decide, you know, one, is testing appropriate? And then two, you know, what sort of testing uh, you know, should I order? And so I think that that's really important for patients to understand, especially as, you know, Spring, I live in, in Massachusetts. Um, spring has not quite yet arrived, but we're on the heels of spring. And, you know, a lot of patients think, well, do I, uh, I'll just suffer with my allergies. There's nothing I can do. And so it's really important for uh, patients to talk with their healthcare providers to discuss those symptoms. And then, you know, if, if you don't improve with medications um, and you're still suffering, then that it may be appropriate to test, but you really have to talk to your physician about it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one of my earlier podcasts, uh, you know, it, it was pretty apparent that uh, back in the day, back in the day, uh, like 20, 30 years ago, um, many allergists, uh, you know, kind of did very indiscriminate testing. You know, they would skin test for however many uh, they were allowed to skin test for um, and kind of doing like indiscriminate testing. Are there um, risks uh, that with that kind of approach? And, and, you know, there's a clear reason why we don't do it anymore. Yeah, so that's why, you know, I, uh, whenever I'm talking about allergy testing, I lead with that uh, clinical history, because you want to arrive at an appropriate uh, diagnosis. And you can do that by getting a good history. So, you know, um, I like to talk about the difference between IgE sensitization and allergy. So you can have those antibodies circulating, but it's really important uh, that we define allergy as having those antibodies in the context of having symptoms. And that allows us to more selectively um, and strategically test because of that difference between sensitization, you know, is the test positive of the antibodies there? When I say antibodies, of course, I'm talking about the IgE antibodies versus, you know, clinical allergy, which is those, those symptoms you know, plus the testing. And so it really allows us to hone in on what the patient is specifically allergic to. So it's very, um, uh, you know, 
targeted testing uh, based on clinical history. Absolutely. So for the listeners out there, um, you know, just to uh, simplify a little bit, it means that you can have a positive allergy test, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to, you know, react to it or have a, have an anaphylactic reaction or, or any reaction for that matter. Um, so, you know, it's important to discern, you know, what is uh, what you've had before and, you know, and, and correlate that with the test results to make sure it makes sense ultimately. Um, and uh, Dr. Wright, where are some of the tools other than skin testing uh, that uh, allergists can use? And what are some of the reasons why that someone may use that? Yes, so um, there's, you know, the, the major allergy testing are both the skin, you know, prick testing, the drop of the allergen on the skin, looking to see if it's positive or negative, positive, sort of looking like a mosquito bite. And so that testing, of course, you know, within uh, it's 15 to 20 minutes, you can get a result. And it's semi-quantitative in the sense that you can uh, measure the response um, on the skin, uh, sort of like a high mosquito bite. And then there's also blood allergy testing uh, with, you know, sort of a similar premise to evaluating for uh, allergies. And, and that one is with a, a blood draw, you know, like a standard blood draw. And then um, that blood is processed and evaluated in the lab looking for those IgE uh, antibodies. And so that is then quantified and that takes a couple days to come back. And so, uh, you know, they're both uh, equivalent in the sense that they're both looking for um, evaluating for uh, allergies, uh, you know, whether it's environmental allergies or, uh, you know, food, aller uh, food allergies, uh, and, and they give you um, good results to correspond with that clinical history. Now, sometimes if you have um, eczema on your skin or you've taken antihistamines, then sometimes, uh, you know, a provider may choose uh, to blood test um, over skin testing. And then at least in the United States, uh, you know, with the primary care providers, um, they typically, you know, have access to the allergy blood testing um, because skin testing uh, typically is done by specialists. Yeah, um, we have a similar situation in Canada as well. Um, but, you know, it, um, every now and then um, I, I will see still to this day uh, some clinicians doing indiscriminate testing, um, you, know, uh, you know, doing like a battery of tests. And, you know, I, I guess what results is sometimes the occasional false positive food result and, you know, as you know, that I, I feel that does a disservice to the patient because now they're avoiding a food unnecessarily or, uh, you know, they may in fact be promoting the loss of tolerance or energy by just by avoiding that for a prolonged period of time and, and then completely unnecessarily. Are, are there any other risks uh, to this that, you know, maybe I haven't mentioned? No, I totally agree. I, I agree that um, that's why it's really important for patients when they go to their doctor to really uh, spell out that clinical history. So when you're talking about food allergy, you know, what are exactly the symptoms that you're having and documenting it? And over what period of time, how frequently does it happen? Does it happen with the different types of foods? So when we're talking about um, many patients will come in and say, well, I'm allergic to milk and 
fact, when you take a good clinical history, it's actually a, you know, a, a dairy intolerance or lactose intolerance. And the history really can help us tease that apart because we want to exclusively do allergy testing if we have signs and symptoms of an IgE-mediated disease. And for your listeners, IgE-mediated disease, that's, you know, those are the allergic symptoms that can put one at risk for anaphylaxis. So we're talking about the hives, the shortness breath, the wheezing, the stomach pain, uh, the nausea, the vomiting, feeling dizzy, perhaps passing out. Really, um, you know, you can have one of those symptoms or the full spectrum. And those are the concerning symptoms that may lead your um, provider to test. But it's not, but it has to be based on that clinical history. It's not indiscriminate. Yeah, so uh, I guess what we're hearing a lot on this podcast is, you know, it, it does take a bit of expertise to figure out when to test someone and, and why we're testing uh, somebody. You know, one of the uh, common issues that I have um, is that uh, there's sometimes a perception by physicians referring patients to me that I'm like, uh, you know, some kind of technician that just uh, does uh, indiscriminate testing, right? And, and, and somehow that sets up uh, unrealistic expectation for patients as well uh, when they come in and see me. Um, you know, uh, what are some of the things that we can try to do to um, educate uh, other healthcare providers and patients alike with the you know, appropriate use of testing? Yeah, so I think that um, really going into a deep dive about the different types of reaction that one can have um, and making that information readily available so that patients, I, I know that patients often like to go to Dr. Google, you know, prior to um, a visit, but just really trying to understand, you know, having patients understand that difference, you know, they may have done searches prior to us coming in, uh, prior to coming into us, but then also while we're actually sitting there, um, you know, talking with the patient, doing that education sort of one-on-one and sort of dispelling some of those myths that may be out there about, you know, testing and really reinforcing that it's about the history. You don't just test. You have to have those IgE-mediated, you know, sort of symptoms. And when I say IgE-mediated, of course, it's the antibodies that you develop Um, you know, when your body perceives something that should be harmless, it perceives it as a threat, uh, you know, an allergen threat, and then it starts producing that. And so that's exactly why we would want to test when we see any evidence of those symptoms or our patients report um, symptoms uh, consistent with that type of reaction. Okay, great. Um, and where do you see the, um, the future of, um, you know, diagnostics going in our field? You know, we, uh, there was a lot of excitement a couple of years back with uh, those chip-based testing assays where you can test like, you know, a couple hundred allergens at a time, like the Isaac chip. Uh, and then there's like, you know, a lot of excitement about better correlation, of specific IgE levels uh, to probabilities of reactions. There's some excitement about prognosticating based on component testing. Where where do you see things evolving in the next 10 years or so? Yeah, so based on uh, clinical studies and research, you know, you can think about um, allergies as sort of the traditional whole allergen testing that you mentioned, but then also looking at the parts to the whole. And I think as you do more and more studies, you know, we're teasing that apart to say, well, what specific part of the allergen or parts are you alerted to? And then what does that mean for your clinical uh, history? 
And we really need the studies to sort of, you know, support that in that field is uh, emerging. And so we see that even when we look at uh, you know, foods, that's a good example of how we're having a lot of uh, progress in that era. When you look at peanut, for example, you know, um, if you were to have a, a peanut allergy or a positive test, um, you really have to think about that clinical history. Did I have some, you know, you have to report to your doctor, was it some oral itching or were there high shortness of breath and wheezing? And then when you look at, um, performing allergy testing, you can then say, okay, well, the whole allergen is positive, that peanut whole allergen is positive. Let me do a deeper dive to look at the parts to the whole, which are known as components. And then based on clinical studies, we see that some of the storage uh, proteins, for example, I'm going to use some technical terms here, RH1, 2, and 3, um, are you know stable uh, to heat. Uh, they can provoke the immune system more. So those are associated with a higher likelihood of a systemic um, reaction. But again, it, you know, we have to take the, the uh, history into consideration. We're interpreting the results in, um, in the context of the history. And then you contrast that to, uh, you know, to say, well, if the patient's sensitized to RH8, which is not a storage protein, um, then they are less likely uh, to have this sort of systemic reaction and more than likely uh, to perhaps have a local reaction. So it's, it's, um, it's, it's like an assessment of likelihoods. And again, we're always putting in the context of what happened to the patient and what the testing in combination with that clinical history may tell us based on clinical studies. Right. And, um, you know, this may, uh, you know, not be directly relevant, but um, you know, we, we've been hearing a lot about uh, basophil activation tests and bad tests, things like that. Um, is that something that, you know, you think will become uh, widespread uh, use in, in our field? You know, perhaps in the future, um, I know that, uh, you know, there are different sort of testing uh, modalities and, you know, the, the allergy cell that we typically think of is the mast cell, but then the basal fields are also um, playing a, a role as well. And, um, you know, based on some of those studies, we do see that the, the tests, uh, you know, can uh, deliver accurate results. Um, and th but then sometimes there are technical challenges with um, how old the blood is or how fresh the blood is, and then that can affect um, the results. So I think we will continue to do studies uh, so that the field continues to evolve. And, and really we're learning, although um, we see a rise in food allergies, it's not something that's new. We see a rise in allergies, environmental allergies, it's not something that's new, but we're learning more and more each day. And, and, and with that, with those studies, we can better learn how to assess patients. Yeah, I wish there was a you know assessment tool to prognosticate or predict uh, COVID vaccine reaction. That seems to be you know all I get asked to do uh, or weigh in on these days. Um, okay, uh, great. Thank you very much, Dr. Wright, for taking the time out of your busy schedule and uh, joining me on my podcast. Uh, I think our listeners will really appreciate this. Excellent. Thank you for having me, Dr. Lee.